and join our voices and our thoughts and hearts together in worship and praise to God. That's what we're going to be thinking about for our time this morning. Psalm 66 and verse 1. Psalm 66 and verse 1 says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Well, it is a new year and it is time to explore some new things. And I want to take a minute at the beginning of this time to introduce you to what we're going to be doing for 2021 as a group. You might have noticed if you got your daily devotional email on Friday that we have a new uh, devotional topic and a new devotional direction. Uh, We're not going to be reading in our daily readings through a particular book of the Bible. We're going to be reading basically from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. We'll spend about six months in the Old Testament and about six months in the New this year. But we're studying a topic which is a new thing for us, a new thing for me. Uh, But we're studying the topic of exploring God's grace. And my contention for the year is really that our view of God's grace is often shallow and restricted to the idea of how God forgives us of our sins in Jesus. And I want to broaden that and explore the grace of God on a deeper way. I want us to learn how God is a gracious God and always has been from the beginning to today. And that we can understand how much God gives and how regularly we learn to depend on his grace. And as we do that, I think you'll see, I'm hopeful. It has been helpful to me in my study just in preparing for this. But I'm hopeful for all of us that we'll learn kind of a, a deeper, better view of God. That says God can be trusted to have goodwill toward us. God can be trusted that he wants our good. God's commands can be trusted, and even in times of hardship, God can be trusted. And so all of that, to me, will deepen our understanding of God. That's my plan for the year. So uh, for those who are listening online or who are visiting with us, what we're talking about is uh, five days a week, we have a reading, and I'll write a short devotional. We send those out by email. There's also a podcast. If you search for Fairview Daily Devotionals, they're available on a podcast form. And that's all available on our website. You can sign up for any of that. uh, But you're more than welcome to join us as we explore God's grace. But for our preaching theme this year, what I'm going to be talking about here, uh, we're going to also go in a different direction. Last year, we talked about house rules. And we talked about how our homes should be changed by the gospel. But for our preaching theme this year, we're going to be focused on the Psalms. And the Psalms are the great songbook of Israel. And I want us to think for this year about how each psalm represents a moment when a follower of God was so overwhelmed by some thought or some situation that he wrote down his words and said, I have to sing to God about this. Because each one of the psalms represents a moment that is so overwhelmingly good or bad that something just had to be expressed. And so they took pen to paper. And I want us to spend some time as we read the Psalms, focusing on how you and I can approach them that same way, to allow the thoughts that are expressed here to touch our emotions to the point that we have to say, I agree with this, I sing with the psalmist. 
And so what we're going to call this is letting my soul sing. And I want us to grow in the year to come to more deeply and authentically and completely worship God. So what we're going to do is each month, starting this morning, we're going to take one major theme in the Psalms and we're going to explore it in different Psalms and talk about how you and I can express those same thoughts and think along those same lines. We're going to let our souls sing. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the idea of you are awesome. And so Stephen has led for us the awesome medley. He did a good job of uh, picking out awesome songs, songs about God being awesome. I don't know how awesome the songs are. No, I'm teasing. That was a great job. He, he asked me yesterday if I could just go with awesome songs, and I said, I think that would be awesome. So... If awesome troubles you, by the way, it is certainly a biblical idea, not the slang way we use the term, but in verse 3 there of Psalm 66, how awesome are your deeds. In verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Worship is a time where we gather together and we think about God and we focus on how awesome he is. So what I want to do is follow the psalmist train of thinking for a few minutes and think about some ways in which God is awesome and how we can then express that and think through that for ourselves. So the first is this, God is awesome because you made everything, including us. Look in verse 1, Psalm 66 and verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you and sing, they sing praises to your name. So the psalmist is overwhelmed by joy. You can hear it, the greatness of God. And he says, let's all come worship God and shout for joy and sing to the glory of God's name. But in verse one, he says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. And then in verse four, all the earth worships you. So the, the earth is the worshiper. And it's not clear if he's talking about, you know, inanimate creation, the the trees and the rocks, if he is talking about people or if he's talking about all of the above. But really, the point is the same. The reason the earth worships God is because God made the earth. Everything on earth is the creation of God. People, plants, animals, landforms, God made them all. So what we are saying here is there is a natural worship that comes from the creature to the creator that says, you made me, I didn't make myself, and now I bow and I praise you because you did a great job. And I'm thankful that I exist. Leave your marker here in Psalm 66. Let's go over to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. We're going to read little bits and pieces of Psalm 104 because it's a longer psalm. But I want you to see the tone of the psalm, which is another psalm of praise to God. Psalm 104 and verse 5 says, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. Verse 14, You caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he might bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Verse 23, man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Now, that is in the context, by the way, of the different animals being provided for by God. Verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. 
When you open your hand, they are filled up with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. This is an awesome psalm because the psalmist looks around at creation and then at man's place in it. And he sees, look at all God has done in creating the the land as it is and then the animals as they are and then sustaining everything, giving them their food and their season. And then man is right alongside them. Here is man and, and man goes out to work and God provides for man. And not, not only does he provide, but he provides good things. He says there in verse 14 and 15, uh, verse 15, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen his heart. Everything man needs for not only life, but enjoyable life, fulfilling life, God has provided. And when God gives good things, then man thrives. And when God takes those good things away, man dies. Man shrivels up without God. So Just as the lions go out and hunt for their prey, so man goes out to work for his food and everyone relies on God. So he says, I'm going to praise God because everything I am and everything I have comes from him. He made me and he made me well. Psalm 148, Psalm 148. This will sound familiar based on the song that we've just sung, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah, which is based on Psalm 148. If you've ever sung that song, Maybe you sung it just this morning and you were thinking, boy, isn't it odd that we're telling all these inanimate things to praise God, that we're telling everything to sing? Well, we need to think about why that would be. And Psalm 148 gives us some of the reasons. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and all flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. So all things should praise God. And so we are calling on the creation to praise its creator. Over and over again, the skies and the stars and the depths and the hail and the snow and the sea creatures and the mountains. These are some creatures who have no real ability to praise God independently. And some of them are just inanimate forces, like the weather. All of them created by God. And he says, let them praise the name of the Lord. But the the part of the psalm that I love is that right alongside that is man. That's in verse 11. Kings of earth and all peoples. We're just the crowning part of God's creation. And that is true in Genesis 1 as well, that when man finally is created, it is the crowning achievement of God's creation. And so people need to lower themselves before God, even kings and princes, because only the name of Jehovah is exalted. His name alone is high. You are awesome. You made everything. You made us. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's Psalm 100. I don't think this is very controversial. And yet, if we are to let our souls sing, we need to connect with this. The idea that we are creatures and that we have a creator. That is, we did not make ourselves. Someone gave birth to us. Our breath, our life is a gift. We are not responsible for the formation of our bodies. We do not control our breath. We were made. It is not our doing. And when we really grasp the depth of that idea, it produces two things in us at the same time. There is a sense of need that we are dependent. And there is a sense of gratitude that someone else has seen fit to give us this great gift of life. And that need and that gratitude are the emotional fuel for worship. They bring us to God and help us to say, you are awesome. You made me and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But not only that, these psalms express that we're not the only things that were made. That we are merely a part of a much larger creation. And so we look around and we see the trees and many of the trees are far older than any of us. And we're amazed when we see them shedding leaves and regrowing them. Or we see the hills and the mountains that amaze us with their heights and their beauty. Or we see the fertile farmland that is always producing crops. Have you just sat and thought about the fact that things just grow out of the ground? What an amazing thing. We see animals all around us and the earth just thrums with life. And we didn't do any of it, did we? Did you make that? Have we had any hand in that whatsoever except maybe to harness a part of that for our own use? We are a part of something that is far bigger than ourselves. And so we let our soul sing and we just say, God, look at what you did. And I go out and I see it and I say, how great thou art. This is awesome. You made everything, including us. Let's go back to Psalm 66. The second thing I want us to see here is that you act in history and you watch over it. Psalm 66 and verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. I love verse 5. Come and see what the God has done. That's the spirit of worship. That's the singing soul. Have you heard? God is awesome toward his people. Look at what God has done for us. And he talks about in verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. This is the Exodus. After saving the people through the plagues, he brings them out of Egypt. The Egyptian army comes after them and God causes the sea to divide and they walk through on dry land. He provides a way of escape for his people. When it says in verse 6, they passed through the river on foot, that's a different scene. That is when they crossed the Jordan as they finally approach the land of Canaan and the Jordan is there and suddenly God causes the river to stop its flow and the people walk through on dry land. Over and over again, God provides a path for his people. God leads them, God blesses them, God acts in history. 
Now, these are great singular acts of salvation that Israel always looks back to and says, look what God did for us to make us a nation. But they are far more because what they represent is that God took the people as his own and God made promises to them and then God fulfilled his promises. God did whatever it took to bless his people and that is fuel for praise. And notice he also says in verse six, there did we rejoice in him. You know, the psalm, the psalmist here is centuries downwind from these things. And yet he says, we rejoiced as if he was there because he looks back in history and he says, look what God did and look what God can do. But verse seven says, who rules by his might forever, who, whose eyes keep watch on the nation. So not only did God do something back then, God will continue to do something. He keeps watch on the nations today. He strikes down the proud. This is who God is and what he does. Look at Psalm 98 with me. Psalm 98. Psalm 98 and verse 1, it says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So it's a call to sing, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song because he has done something new. Now, we don't know what it is. We don't know the details. But do the details matter? We call it a new song. But the truth is, it's the same old song with a new verse. The song is, God is great. Look at what God has done. And yet every generation sings with a new voice, a new verse to that same song. God is faithful. God provides. God delivers. Over and over again, it's what God does. And so the psalmist says, I have seen the salvation of God. I'm going to sing. Because God has acted to bless us even now. Verse 7, verse 7 of Psalm 98, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So not only is there rejoicing for how God has acted, but there is almost also this promise that God watches over history. God will continue to judge. God's not done. He's not done with his people just because he acted in the past. In fact, sometimes the psalmist will extrapolate from the past and what they've seen God do into the characteristics of God. Because God did this, this is who God is and what he always does. Let me show you that in Psalm 146. Psalm 146. <clears throat> if God did this before, then who is God and what is he like? What can we learn about God from the record of his acting in history? Psalm 146 and verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Do you notice what he does there? He says, God has done this. Verse six, he made heaven and earth. He keeps faith forever. He always keeps his promises. He always does what he says. He always fulfills his covenant. Always. This is who he is. He always, verse 7, executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. He takes care of the people who are bowed down and lifts them up. 
He watches over those who are in need, the sojourner and the widow and the fatherless. This is who he is. In other words, we praise God because his past actions show that he will continue to be who he is and do what he has done. He continues to watch over history and act for our good. Now, you and I have a blessing that the psalmists did not. We have access to a whole bunch more of how God has acted in history since the time when they lived, particularly the fact that God acted in history by sending his son who became a man like you and me and offered himself on the cross for the salvation of the world and was raised again. And that is a fixed point in history that our faith always looks back to. And we gather together and we say, God, you were awesome for what you did when you sent your son. And so we praise with them, but we praise in a higher and greater way because we have experienced a higher and greater salvation. If we are to let our souls sing, we need to remember what God has done in the past. This is the God who gave promises to Abraham. This is the God who delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery, from captivity for their own sins, from the extermination attempts of so many like Haman, from evil kings and Roman occupation. This is the God who raises up judges for the people and then allows them to be overwhelmed again because of their sin. But he also watches over nations. He also raises up and casts down and works his will in the world. I want to point out that some of the things that we're describing are miraculous, like the Red Sea or the Jordan River, and some of them are not, like how God lifts up those who are bowed down. Or watches over sojourners. So we're not just saying that, you know, at some point in the past, God used to do miracles in some special way, and now he doesn't anymore. We are saying there is a tremendous continuity because it's the same God. And we can depend on him just like they did, and we can sing his praises just like they did. In fact, we can come and add our new song to the song that they sing. The song that says, God, you are awesome because we see what you are doing even now. In fact, I I would say something like this to my God. God, I can't always diagram how you are working. And sometimes your ways are a mystery, but I see traces of you and your providential activity in my life. And for that, when I see you raising me up, giving me favor, preserving me, I say you are awesome. Just like you were to them, you are to me. Let's go back to Psalm 66. Psalm 66, the idea now is God is awesome because you test us and then you bless us. Verse 8, Psalm 66 and verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, our God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Again, it's not clear what we're referring to. Are we talking about exile? We don't know. Something bad has happened to the nation. And yet the psalmist sees God behind every event that happens. Did you notice that? It's something God did. You tested us, you allowed this, and then you brought us out. Verse 10 says, you have tested us, you have tried us. Verse 11, you have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Verse 12 says, we went through fire and through water. And yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. God, you are awesome because even your tests give way to blessing. Even your tests produce something great. Even when things are bad, we know they end up good 
And that makes you even more awesome. Go with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Again, it's a song of praise, and yet it also has this tone of the idea of testing followed by blessing. Psalm 103 and verse 2. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I just want to point out that when verse 3 describes diseases and verse 4 describes the pit, that God's salvation requires difficulty in order to be salvation. If you're going to be healed, you have to have a disease first. If you're going to be rescued, you have to be in the pit first. If you are going to go through things that produce the blessing God is seeking to give, sometimes the testing comes first. And so he says, in this case, that's what's happening. Look in verse 9. It says, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So God has compassion on us, he says. He doesn't insulate us from all trouble. That's not the way God works. But he will not always chide. He will not always discipline. He knows our frame. He knows our limitations. He knows that we are but dust. He cares about us and he has compassion on us. So even the tests are a blessing. This is Psalm 118, verse 17 and 18. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Discipline, yes, but even discipline gives way to blessing. So if we're going to let our souls sink, we have to acknowledge that sometimes we have endured hardship and suffering. Sometimes things have gone very poorly for us. And you know, sometimes that's been the result of our own choices. We did it to ourselves. We have sinned. We have made bad decisions. We've hurt people and damaged our own reputations. And then we had to suffer for it. Sometimes we suffer just the same ways all people suffer. You know, with the infirmities of life or financial troubles or frustrations in our relationships. Those are things that are not unique something that God is doing for us or God is testing us through. The Psalms, though, teach us to look at the situations of our lives as faith tests with the reminder that tests can have a benefit. When we look back on those situations, what we see is that those tests are time of maturity or those tests are times where we have a wake-up call or they are, in my words, sink or swim moments where we have to figure out, am I, am I really going to do this or am I just going to walk away? We learn the importance of patience in moments like those where we're waiting for unpleasant situations that we cannot control to pass and to be over. We learn to trust God in those times, of times of testing, because we're going through seasons where it's really hard to see the good, the light at the end of the tunnel. But when we zoom out and when the test passes and the clouds clear, we find room to praise God. And we say, you know, even the test was a blessing from God. Even the test gave way to something great. 
And even the test, I can look and say, you know, there was some good that came out of that. And so we say, God, you're awesome. Because even when you're bringing trouble, you do it right. It reminds me of a a child who complains about a punishment in the moment. And then years later, come back to mom and dad and say, you know, I'm really thankful that you did that for me. I totally get what you were trying to say. Maybe not in the moment. I don't know any teenagers that are saying that in the moment. But years later, we look back and we say, even that was a blessing. God is awesome. Because he sees the holes in my character that I don't see. God, you're awesome because you love me enough to test me. And then you bless me to reassure me that you truly do love me. This is fuel for worship. Let's go back to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. The last thing I want us to see here is that you answer my prayers. Psalm 66 and verse 13. He says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, because we jumped away from this psalm, but there is a tone change in verse 13. From verse 12, where he has been talking about the whole earth worshiping and then Israel worshiping, in verse 13, he says, I. And the rest of this psalm is about him. No longer are we talking about the worship of a group. We're talking about a single man who says, I have worship to do. I have business with God. First, he says in verse 13 and 14 that he made some promises when things were bad. And now that things have improved, he says, I plan to make good on the promises I made. That which my lips uttered, verse 14, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. You know, this is the opposite of Pharaoh who when things are desperate, he says, oh yes, God is great, I'll let the people go. And then as soon as the danger passes, he completely forgets and goes back to the way he was. He says, I'm not gonna be that way. I told God I would worship him and offer him things and I plan to do it. And so he comes to offer sacrifices and do exactly what God wants. Look in verse 16. He says, come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. This is worship. In fact, this is corporate worship that is fueled by personal testimony, where he says, I have something to say about what God has done for me. I will tell you. I cried to God and he listened. Verse 17, I cried to him with my mouth. Verse 18, uh, verse 19, truly God has listened. So now I praise because verse 20 says, God has remained faithful. He's not removed his steadfast love from me. Turn with me over to Psalm 118, 118. I want us to think about this idea of how God answers prayer. Very often the psalmists write psalms because the pressing issue, the pressing thing on their hearts, what their souls have to sing about is that they have been saved from some desperate situation by a God they prayed to. Psalm 118 and verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. I want you to notice how his experience in verse 5, you know, I have this situation where I cried and God answered, now produces confidence in verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. So this is what remembering answered prayer does for us. We say, you know, God did answer that. And now I can trust God will answer me. So I can be confident. No man should make me afraid. I don't have to fear because God is on my side. Look down in verse 21, Psalm 118, verse 21. He says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, the, you understand this is a prophecy that also applies to Jesus. But in the context of this psalm, it is simply the idea that people have rejected me and yet God has not. That God's favor outweighs the dismissal of men. And so I'm going to rejoice today because even if people are against me, God is with me. The psalms are full of these kinds of reports of answer prayer. One of my favorites is Psalm 34, where this is David speaking. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. It's a psalm that comes after he had to pretend to be insane uh, when he goes to uh, the Philistines. You answer my prayers. Sometimes we don't even know from these psalms what the prayer is or how it's answered. All we see is the worship. All we see is people coming back and saying, God, you are awesome. So here is my point. Remembering answered prayer will fuel our worship. It is just staggering to think that an almighty God would have any interest or any willingness to answer what you and I, mere mortals and not even important mortals, have to ask him and the questions and the concerns and anxieties that we have. It is amazing that God would even listen when we can't even get most other people to listen. And yet here is God answering our prayers. He bends down and inclines his ear. He says, tell me what you need. Cast your cares on me because I care for you. That's fuel for worship. It also reminds us when we talk about answer prayer, how desperate our need was. Sometimes after the crisis is over, we forget. You know, in that moment, when the car is careening out of control, when the tests come back and we don't know what they're going to be. Sometimes in that moment, we are so desperate and so hungry for some kind of relief that we pray our hearts out. And then when we realize that the danger has passed, we move on with life. And we forget, like those lepers that Jesus heals, we forget to come back and say, God, thank you for healing me and answering my prayers. So what prayers has God answered for you? We have some prayers we've been offering as a congregation that have been answered. And there is fuel for praise. God doesn't have to listen to our prayers. He doesn't have to answer them. At no point is God bound to do something for us. So when he does, it is a sheer act of grace. God just doing something because he is kind. Have you prayed for your kids? Have you prayed for a safe trip home? 
Have you prayed for a relief from a burden? Have you prayed for a wisdom about a decision, a major decision? Have you prayed for help with a spiritual weakness? How about we take a moment and see what God has already done instead of only lamenting what God has not yet done? Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. You are an awesome God. I can say for my part, I praise God because he has preserved and blessed my life through some difficulties and hardships over the past year or so. I have prayed and I have prayed, and God has every right to say no, but he has not said no. He has blessed me while not taking the trouble away, God has, in the past, answered my prayers for a mate. He has answered my prayers for forgiveness. He has answered prayer after prayer after prayer for my children. He has strengthened me when I was weak. He has deepened me when I was shallow. He has provided for me when I was in need. And so my soul sings, you are awesome. Thank you, God. What I am trying to say with this lesson And the thought that we will come back to time and again through the year is that we cannot expect worship to be authentic and meaningful if we just show up and start singing. We have to engage our hearts. I especially want you to notice that our model for worship here in Psalm 66 is one man bringing his best to God and saying, God, you have done so much for me. I'm just here for you. I am not here to get something out of you. I am not here because I want other people to do for me. I am here to worship and let my soul sing out to you. You are awesome. Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, We thank you so much for times like these where you've allowed us the freedom and the ability and the health to gather together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I am overwhelmed. I can't possibly exhaust all the different ways that you are awesome. And yet, Father, with just this glimpse and just these few words, we hope and pray that we have brought glory to your name. We thank you, Father, not just that you are good, but that you have been good to us and that we as your people are redeemed by the blood of your Son, that we are are gathered here to worship you together and to serve you together. And, Father, that you have blessed each one of our lives in unique ways that we don't deserve. Father, we sing as your creation the praises of our Creator. We sing as your people the praises of the God who saved us and leads us. Father, we sing as mere humans out of our need and we sing in gratitude because you have done so much for us and you have answered our prayers and our pleas for mercy and help. And so, Father, we ask that you'll be pleased with our praise and that you'll continue to watch over us. May this service and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time of our service where we offer the invitation for those who 
are ready and who need an opportunity to come to the Lord, to, for the first time, give their lives to Jesus and begin a walk with Him, or for those who have begun that walk and are disciples of Jesus, but you know that you need the prayers of this congregation, you want to let us know or to help with something that is a burden on your heart. If there is any need that you have, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.